The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Hello and welcome to the last book box of the year. Here are your headlines. China's factories continue to churn with manufacturing activity topping expectations this month despite renewed COVID restrictions and heavy lockdowns. U.S. stocks look set to cement strong annual gains on the final trading day of the year, with Wall Street eyeing its best three-year run since the late 1990s. Health systems creak as COVID cases hit record highs in at least 20 countries, and the WHO warns of an impending tsunami of infections. And hold for the president. Biden and Putin go toe-to-toe over Ukraine, but find no resolution as the pair trade warnings and threats. A bit of data to round out the year as China's factory activity shows signs of strength. The official Manufacturing Purchasing Managers Index rose to 50.3 this month, up from 50.1 in October, uh, November. That did top estimates and comes as China combats a COVID-19 outbreak hitting the major northwestern city of Xi'an. Samsung Electronics and Micron Technology, two of the world's largest memory chip manufacturers who operate in the city, have warned that ongoing lockdowns there could start to impact chip supply. And to uh, date out of the States, the U.S. weekly initial jobless claims came in lower than expected. Total claims tallied 198,000. That was down from the previous week's adjusted 206,000. The declining numbers reflect an increasingly tight labor market and come as the Federal Reserve begins pulling back on some of its ultra-easy monetary policy it put in place during the pandemic. Well, let's take a look at the impact on markets. I think a lot of investors this week have been taking stock of the the variant and the impact it's having on growth. But it's been a a fairly stellar year that's played out across markets already. You may recall we saw a lot of the highs on these markets in November before a slight pullback and easing. And the sort of Santa Claus rally that we've experienced this year and buying enough to try and top up on some of the ranges and take us back to the high levels. The Dow, for instance, over the year now, trading up by 19%. We've had a steady climb too over 2021 on the S&P 500, but slightly more exaggerated activity than what you had on the Dow. As a result, a 27% pop over the course of the year. And uh, you can see the Nasdaq in the range, 22%, but it's just not really captured uh, some of those highs that we had in November. Some of that year-end volatility just too high to compensate for into year-end at this stage. So you can see uh, so far it has not kept pace with the S&P 500. I want to take you elsewhere. Let's uh, move on to the uh, S&P and just dive deep into what we've had over the course of this year. This is the, the yearly chart, and you can see that steady climb. Over the course of the month, still solid performance, 4.6% higher into year end. The final quarter, we've been up double-digit numbers, more than 10%, and that's given us this grand total that we've achieved so far, 27% higher. And the NASDAQ, by comparison, you can see uh, how this is reflected as the, the final month of the year, just 1.3% higher. So communication services, one of the areas of the market that encompasses a lot of these big stocks in the technology basket, just not keeping pace in the catch-up trade. So you can see that wobble around 
concerns around the interest rate environment into next year, whether we've got a tighter setting coming because of the inflationary pressures we've experienced through the supply chain issues. And that is an issue that may have uh, a prospect of negativity for the sector. And you can see 1.3% higher for the Nasdaq, still positive for the month, but not the same tune as what we saw on the S&P. And also about 9% on the Nasdaq for the fourth quarter versus almost 11% that you saw on the S&P. So in the range, but just not quite keeping pace. I want to take you to the dollar trade. This is how uh, the currency has fared. It's not been a, a great month despite the interest rate to talk. I think you saw a lot of preloaded action over the yearly range. We've been up about 6.8% on the dollar index. Uh, some of that coming final quarter, almost 2%, but uh, not a great uh, four-week trade on the dollar trade. And a quick look at the yield as a result, too. A huge focus, too, on what's playing out stateside. With interest rates, you can see 1.52% is what we have experienced on that yield. That's where we're trading roughly at this stage. We're off the highs that we saw earlier in the year. Let's get to Jeffrey Yu, Senior Market Strategist, BNY Mellon. Jeffrey, thank you so much for giving us some time on the last day of the trading year. What do you make of uh, how we are setting up into 2022? What are your big calls on the markets for next year? Right. So it's a question of um, cautious optimism. And actually, um, our view is uh, next year in a growth in inflation will probably still surprise uh, to the upside. And we've started to see uh, not just um, you know markets, um, who I hope are intrinsically optimistic, but actually central bankers um, trying to uh, look past the current Omicron issues, um, still talking about inflation, you know, talking about rate hikes, the need to tighten. When you have um, ECB members openly talking about rate hikes, not next year, but 2023, you can see the direction of travel. Uh, so I think some of the themes that we've seen this year, inflation surprising to the upside, um, you know, some um, growth uh, shocks to the upside as well. Uh, I think uh, that's all uh, we can expect. And uh, how markets digest that in a tightening environment is going to be key. Jeffrey, one of the big trades has been a catch-up one for energy this year. We've seen a very stunning uh, rebound in that sector. What do you make of the performance of the oil basket and broader commodities into 2022? Uh, so again, uh, that's going to be one of the key inputs heading into next year. Now, uh, uh, the uh, uh, main thing is that what's this going to be driven by? Is it going to be an ongoing supply constraint? And uh, a lot of central bankers have mentioned the, geopolit uh, the uh, geopolitical issues there. But on the other side of it, um, is there also a demand component uh, as well? And mentioned the uh, setup in terms of energy baskets. Um, if we look at our internal flow data, for example, the positioning numbers, what are the best position, even right now, what are some of the best position, best bought currencies? Um, uh, commodity block currencies. Norway, uh, Brazil, uh, Chile has been one of the best performers over the past quarter or so. Yes, some idiosyncratic risk there as well on the political side. But uh, ultimately, uh, this is one area of the market uh, that is already well positioned. So uh, the impetus is on uh, energy prices uh, and also commodity prices at large to continue their positive support, positive price action, maybe to um, help these um, trades um, perform. Uh, now, uh, how do we reconcile that uh, with stagflationary risks? Um, so we saw that mountain in October, uh, this is um, going to be one of the challenges um, for central banks. You know, not um, all um, bounces and energy prices are a good thing, of course. And uh, in the UK, we've heard about these uh, cost of living issues. Uh, that's going to be a challenge for both monetary and fiscal authorities as well. Jeffrey, I want to get into the European performance because one of your suggestions for 2022 is that you see Europe outperforming the UK. And now we've seen the FTSE 100 into year end slowly climbing towards a, a new marker, 7,400 points uh, under the cover of the Santa Claus rally. Whereas some of the other European markets have been a little bit disappointing, namely the DAX, for instance. We saw some of the highs in November not recapturing those levels. Why do you think the UK is going to be a little bit left behind here versus Europe? 
Uh, so valuations, and we can talk about valuations across multiple asset classes. So firstly, I mentioned the FTSE, and, uh, so the FTSE 100 is still going to be exposed to global conditions. Uh, so uh, uh, with sterling uh, trading around these levels um, right now, it's uh, uh, been uh, kind of in the doldrums. Uh, uh, that probably um, has uh, lifted um, FTSE on top of global reflation expectations. Um, but that doesn't mean um, Eurozone equities can't perform in the same way either. Also exposed to global growth and global performance. Euro is cheaply uh, positioned um, as well right now in terms of valuations. But if we just look at FX, that's going to be driven by policy differentials. Basically, right now, UK rate expectations massively overduced. Um, so what we see is um, uh, the cost of living issues, that's going to impact real demand. And the OBRs um, fear uh, that the BOE is hiking into very stagnant real wages. I think that's going to impact growth up ahead, whereby um, in uh, the Eurozone or across the EU, you've seen that consistency in the fiscal response. Um, we won't um, have, um, so yes, we will have a cost of living issues, uh, but we will have ongoing support for the household, uh, for industry. So one of the key areas of outperformance in the Eurozone we see is actually from the domestic side. There has been a lockdown trade heading into the end, but that also means there will be a reopening trade. And I think that side of it is going to be much more favourable for European assets to perform compared to the UK. And finally, uh, we do have um, uh, the more political developments next year as well. You know, the uh, French elections uh, where we expect investment drives afterwards, uh, ongoing support from the NGEU. All of that, I think, is going to contribute um, to the recovery in Europe. Jeffrey, I want to ask you about the valuation issue because some strategists are looking out there at uh, the interest rate environment into next year and think mm -hmm. that you may have uh, some problems when it comes to how areas of the market are valued. Are we seeing that in, in various quarters? I mean, there's been volatility, for instance, in uh, the communication services basket, namely big, big name tech stocks. Mm -hmm. Do you think we've got a problem when it comes to valuation in 2022? Uh, so it all boils down to real rates um, at the end of the day. I think it, uh, we have to look at it on a market by market basis. Um, so, you know, where we could be wrong, for example, is uh, uh, if the Fed and it goes well beyond what's been uh, telegraphed um, right now, uh, then, of course, some um, of your discounting um, is, is, is uh, probably mispriced as well. Uh, so that's certainly going to affect uh, uh, our performance. And uh, that's uh, one of the risks um, to our view, whereby in Europe, um, as I said earlier, they're starting to talk about rate hikes. It doesn't mean that's going to happen next year. Um, but any uh, renewed um, upward shift in real rates, um, not just uh, outright, but also in spreads. You know, that's something to look at as well. That's going to be very, very gradual. So we see the risk um, to say euros and valuations, you know, from the real rate side of things as going to be much, much more um, um, uh, limited. Um, Asia is an interesting one. So, you know, one area we like is um, basically the ASEAN you know, reopening trade as well. Um, China real rates. Um, so depending whether you uh, de um, uh, deflate by PPI or CPI, you can get different conclusions. Uh, but I think the general consensus in China is, especially in the consumer sector, valuations are quite attractive right now. And we're seeing a lot of inflow both by um, domestic, but also international clients as well, um, even though um, you know, growth um, has been um, a bit um, a di uh, disappointing throughout the year. So really take it on a market by market basis, you know, by a group by group basis. Jeffrey, I saw one strategist suggest that it's going to be a bumpy old ride next year, a bit hair raising with the bigger drawdowns in the market, but overall expects returns mm -hmm. of around about 8 to 10 percent. What number are you fixed on here when it comes to, to equity market returns? What's a, a new normal uh, for 2022? Uh, so um, I... I would be quite cautious and say more of the same right now. But now just going back to your point about um, it's going to be a bumpy ride, risk adjusted returns, I think, are much more important uh, than outright returns. So um, if uh, so from an outright returns point of view, we can actually see you know, steady, um, uh, uh, steady progress in line with historical norms. But 
if volatility is going to pick up, which with rising real rates and also inflation views out there is to be expected, then I think you know that's where your valuation discount is going to come in. So expect more volatility, but ultimately heading into your end, if our growth story plays out, then I don't think we should be too disappointed uh, by overall um, outturns. Uh, I would agree it's going to be a bumpy ride, um, but it's going to be bumpier in some markets compared to others. Jeffrey, thank you so much for your contribution and uh, right across 2021. We look forward to speaking to you thank next you. year as well. And happy New Year to you. Absolutely. Jeffrey, you're Happy with us, year. senior market strategist BNY Mellon. Elsewhere, South Africa has eased its coronavirus restrictions, lifting a midnight to 4 a.m. movement curfew, saying it has now passed the peak of its Omicron-driven fourth wave. The country, which is now back to the lowest of its COVID-19 alert levels, says it has taken into consideration infections, vaccinations and the strength of its health sector. In Israel, people with weakened immune systems can now receive a fourth COVID jab in the form of a second booster. Prime Minister Naftali Bennett says he wants to continue to increase protection as the pandemic's threat rises. A decision on whether to offer the fourth jab to the wider population is still pending. U.S. health experts have urged Americans to prepare for severe disruption in coming weeks, with the rising Omicron cases expected to sweep through hospitals, schools and businesses. The warning comes as the U.S. recorded a new record level of COVID infections Thursday. More than 1,400 flights in the United States were cancelled Thursday and nearly 8,000 were delayed, as carriers contend with staffing shortages driven by the fast-spreading Omicron variant. And a quick look at U.S. markets, where we did see a reversal for the major markets in trade yesterday, about a quarter of a percent off for the Dow, third down for the S&P and the Nasdaq also falling. That said, there were intraday highs on the Dow, so there was fresh records unlocked at one point, just not holding into year end. Positive trades. Disney was stronger for the Dow. Microsoft a little bit weaker. A little bit of volatility there in that Microsoft to trade, of course, impacting other areas of the market too, namely the Nasdaq. A quick look at the Asian markets. So this is how we are traveling. A lot of the markets are not trading today. So we are showing you the Chinese market and also India. A lot of the markets closing early. Australia, Hong Kong, Singapore, ready to ring in the new year. But uh, so far, these Chinese markets trading higher, roughly half of a percent, but stretching even further. The Nifty 50 in India, 1.1% pop there. So uh, a strong showing into year end. And a look at futures here in Europe. We'll have a few markets trading. Some are already uh, are shut, so we won't have uh, those markets. Germany, Italy, uh, Switzerland all closed today. But uh, the French market and here on the FTSE, we are showing a slightly weaker indication so far for these markets. But uh, don't forget, I was just mentioning, very strong starting level for the FTSE, above 7,400 points today. So uh, Santa Claus uh, well and truly has come to town on this side of the world. U.S. futures. And this is how we are perched at uh, this early hour for the final day of the year. You can see it uh, does look a little bit cautious, so we're in the red at this stage. So we'll see whether it uh, shapes up a little bit firmer than that as we count you down uh, throughout the course of the morning. Coming up on the show, two of the most powerful men in the world hold security talks. But can they find a way to de-escalate tensions over Ukraine?
ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on cnbc.com. U.S. President Joe Biden spoke with his Russian counterpart Vladimir Putin for almost an hour on Thursday, but the pair found no way to defuse tensions, instead issuing a number of warnings over the situation in Ukraine. Biden urged Putin to reduce his troop buildup near the Ukraine border, threatening wide-scale sanctions if there was an invasion. Putin warned the threat of sanctions was straining ties to breaking point. And Putin's foreign affairs advisor said the call created a good backdrop for lower-level talks next month and reiterated the warnings Putin had made. The Russian president emphasized that in this difficult situation, Russia will act as the US would act if offensive weapons were deployed near its borders. President Biden has noted, however, that in the case of escalation continuing along the Ukrainian border, Western countries will adopt large-scale sanctions in economic, financial and military areas. We know that it would be a colossal mistake that would entail grave consequences. A lot of mistakes have been made over the past 30 years, and we would do better to avoid any more in this situation. Global M&A activity reached a record high this year, with volumes topping $5 trillion for the first time. Deal-making was uh, up 64% from the year earlier, with most in the technology sector, as well as financials, industrials and energy. Investment bankers say they expect the frenzy to continue into 2022, despite central banks pulling plugs on accommodative policies. Share buybacks have also surged this year, with financial and technology sectors leading the way. Bob Bassani filed this report. Buybacks are surging. After cratering in the first half of 2020, buybacks have increased six quarters in a row and at $850 billion for the year, it's poised to exceed the old record, $806 billion in 2018. Fueling the surge are financials and technology stocks like Apple. Tech is usually the biggest buyback sector because tech stocks tend to have the largest cash flow. The key is for buybacks to lead to a lower share count. Reduced share count improves the earnings per share. That's what investors want. Now, some companies like Apple, Alphabet, and Oracle, they've been buying back stock and reducing their share count for several years. But others like Tesla and NVIDIA, they're actually increasing their share counts. Neither bought back any stock this year. Now, look at the shares outstanding in the overall S&P 500 indicates that despite spending $2 trillion in share buybacks in the last three years, the share count of the S&P 500 has actually gone up a little bit. It hasn't gone down. Now, there's two reasons this is happening. First, many companies announce buybacks even as they give out an equal amount of new options to executives and other employees, which doesn't reduce the share count once they exercise those options. The second reason is that the stock market has gone up a lot in the last few years and higher prices reduces the shares companies can buy back. Well, how about 2022? With the consumer still strong and corporate profits expected to be up at least 10% in 2022, buyback watchers see the potential for another record year. Still, this buyback surge has fueled outrage in Washington, where many have long complained that buybacks do little but enrich management. 
President Biden's Build Back Better plan has a proposal for a 1% excise tax on buybacks, but that proposal is stalled in negotiations. Back to you. Elsewhere, IKEA says it will be raising prices by an average of 9% amid increased transport and raw material costs. Uh, that being an average of prices, but if you look at some of the, the individual items, they're up 50%. Uh, basic desk is up 50%. Uh, table with four chairs, similar jump of 50%. A little bit less uh, on a day bed, up 30%. So uh, much higher than the average that the company's talking about here. As the world's biggest furniture manufacturer says, it will have to pass on higher costs to consumers as it expects the turmoil in supply chains to continue well into 2022. As pandemic pressures eased earlier this year, consumers returned to shops, causing many retailers to struggle with balancing higher demand with a complicated supply chain picture. But the outlook remains optimistic despite those challenges, according to a new report by Moody's. The firm's vice president, David Beadle, told CNBC the retail sector will remain largely stable in 2022, even as inflation and supply woes mount. It, this isn't necessarily a bad thing for uh, the uh, retailers um, in those bad, badly affected segments by um, delays. Um, if I think about um, electronics retailers, the margins that you make um, on um, those new um, gaming consoles are pretty low anyway. Um, and in fact, if you think about car retailers, yet still be delays. But um, what that means is that the price of secondhand cars is actually boosted, um, which again, help the margins um, of those retailers. So, I mean, overall, yeah, the, um, uh, the, the kind of supply chain challenges remain a, a threat um, to um, profitability, um, but ultimately in those um, segments, but ultimately when it comes to looking at the sector outlook, we're looking at the far broader um, segments um, or all of the segments of retail from food um, to um, non-essential products um, as, as well. Um, and trying to think about the underlying credit fundamentals for the next 12 to 18 months. Um, clearly, the pandemic has been a tough and volatile time uh, with many challenges. But as I say, people like grocers, discounters, online specialists, they've all done very well um, in these last uh, 18 months or so, as demand has been um, very robust for their products, as consumers can't go and do um, the, the things that they might ordinarily like to do. Uh, and even in other segments, um, like clothing, um, homewares, electronics that have been hit by lockdown closures, um, you know, those are coming back strongly as pent-up demand uh, has been released. David, you mentioned the discounters there. And, you know, funnily enough, last time around uh, with the financial crisis, those discounters were very strong in the marketplace because of the trading down by hard-hit consumers. This time around, it feels like with very thin margins, as soon as they get some cost pressure it's very detrimental for the business. You know, holding the line on $1 or £1 pricing is incredibly difficult when you're seeing escalation in just about every area of the business, from transportation to the actual products themselves and wages. Do you take a dim view then of some of the budget operators in the space this time around? Well, in, in Europe, um, I guess the big companies that we have ratings for um, don't tend to have that constraint um, of, as you put it, the dollar um, uh, uh, price point. I'm thinking of companies like um, B&M, um, who are doing remarkably well in, in the UK um, uh, in particular. And there's also action uh, on the continent. Um, and these companies have a um, very broad array. I think there's privately owned companies that are doing well as, as, as well, companies like The Range in, in the UK. The gather are doing um, very well, um, and they do well because um, they uh, have, have this um, sort of treasure hunt uh, type of uh, 
of, of offering um, that uh, consumers love. They're getting a bargain. It's not necessarily a pound, um, uh, but you know it could be very, very different um, price points indeed. Um, but they're, they're being flexible um, with their offering. That's been the key uh, for the success uh, of the likes of B&M and Action uh, that um, you know, we, we've seen have improving credit quality uh, over these last several years. As we look to wrap up the year, quick stock take of how markets have performed. Uh, our performance by the Indian market, you can see up 24%, but still not keep quite keeping pace with the United States. Underperformer has been the Hong Kong market, actually sliding 14%, eking out gains we've had uh, for the Chinese market to Japan for South Korea, but a decent performance for Australia. Just diving into that Japanese performance, near on 5%. It was a choppy old year, very jagged lines that we saw on Japanese stocks influenced by some uh, fiscal policy and the politics at play in Japan. So that gave us a, a bumpy old year across the uh, course of 2021. Stocks in Shanghai, a little bit more stable than that. Uh, just trading up slightly over the course of the year. And we don't forget we had big issues around the technology and various regulatory crackdowns. So you could see uh, the Hong Kong market weathered most of the storm. It was down 14%. In contrast to the Shanghai Composite, where you can see uh, the market traded up by 4.8%, dealing with similar issues. Evergrande, of course, a major problem for these markets too. And just to Australia, to, to show you that uh, performance double-digit gains that you saw for the Australian market was actually trading higher mid-year, gave back some of that territory, but it's still up 13%. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.